If you want to grow your business or professional practice quickly, you've got to listen to today's show. Hi, I'm Dave Lorenzo, and this episode of the Inside BS Show is all about building a power team. This is a group of people with whom you have a strategic alliance to share and develop business. That's right. You have your own team of professionals out there promoting you and introducing you to people who will do business with you. This episode is being shared with you in response to the reaction I received from episode 212. That episode was titled Revenue Growth Through a Career of Service. It was an interview with my good friend and client, Doug Kay. He's a lawyer in Fairfax, Virginia, and Doug has used this exact strategy in order to build his practice, and he's had a lot of success with it. So I want you to sit back and relax and listen as you are a visitor in a session with my inner circle group. This is a group of professionals that I facilitate. They're from all over North America. We have members in Canada. We have members in Mexico. We have a lot of members in the United States. And we meet twice each week and share business development strategies. I do two presentations. People share their ideas and they pass referrals back and forth. It's my inner circle business development community. If you're interested in getting involved with this community, as long as there's an opening, you can apply, and I'll share with you how you can do that at the end of the show. But for right now, sit back and relax and enjoy the inside look at how to build a power team. All right, today's conversation is about strategic alliance partnerships, and my introduction to all of you for strategic alliance partnerships is what I call a power team. And I'll, I'll show you what that is toward the end of our time together today. Doug is familiar with this because he started it in his practice already. But I think it could be a, real, a really helpful tool for all of you. Let's start with a definition for, uh, for what a strategic alliance partnership is. It's a mutually beneficial relationship designed to facilitate growth. Basically, it's a partnership for a specific purpose. So what that means is it's focused marketing activity for, uh, for all of you who are looking to leverage the trust that someone else in, uh, in, in your area of focus has with a client. So I'm not talking about joint ventures. There won't be shared ownership of the client but you and your strategic alliance partner have a client in common. And I'm not talking about you and a competitor necessarily. I'm talking about you and someone who provides a complimentary service. So there are two types and those are horizontal partnerships and those are partnerships between competitors. We're not going to focus on those today and then vertical partnerships. So, non-competitors with the same target client. And we're going to, I'm gonna share with you a number of ways to establish strategic alliance partnerships. And hopefully you'll be able to leverage these opportunities to grow your businesses without even having to leave your home or office. So some of the benefits of these strategic alliance partnerships, the first benefit is you can leverage the trust of your partner to attract a new client. Also, there's a very low cost of acquisition on your part for attracting the client 
because your partner is making an introduction to you or you're doing some type of joint marketing with your partner to help you uh, acquire the client. The risk for you is really reduced because you're not, you're not on the line to foot the, the entire bill if you're doing an event or the entire bill if you're doing a marketing program. You're sharing the risk with somebody else and it is easier to enter into a market or a, a geography or a practice area because you've got kind of an ambassador. You've got someone who already has the trust of that market and that person is ushering you in there and it makes it much, much easier for you to penetrate that market or that geographic area. Um, finally, there's a really good amount of advanced market research that's done by your strategic partner that they can share with you and it helps you uncover new problems to solve. So, you know, what do I mean by this? Well, if you're, let's say you're a transactional attorney and you're working with a CPA and the CPA says to you, hey, listen, there's a brand new law in Florida that uh, no longer offers protection to single member LLCs. A lot of people are coming to me asking me about it. Uh, you might want to consider doing a seminar on this. In fact, I would love to co-host a seminar with you on this. When that happens, you're, the market research has been done for you by the CPA because he's telling you what his clients are looking for. And you might not have even known about that. By the way, that specific case study that I just outlined in, in you know, less than a minute, that actually happened in Florida a few years ago. In Florida, single member LLCs uh, no longer offer, apparently no longer offer the same protection that multi-member LLCs offer. And people, first of all, a lot of people didn't know about it. And second of all, attorneys realized there was demand because people were going to their CPAs asking them to, to redo their corporate documents and the CPAs were clueless. So the CPAs, one of the CPAs came to me and then my transactional attorneys were telling me their CPAs were coming to them. And that's a way that you can discover new points of pain in the market through your strategic alliance partnerships. So how do these things work? Well, let me give you some examples. Uh, the first example I'll give you is one of the things I do at Doug Kay's law firm all the time. Doug's firm in, uh, in Maryland, particularly in the, in the Bethesda office, has a really solid, very good family law practice. They have some outstanding family law attorneys there. And the family law attorneys in Offit Kerman, particularly in the Bethesda office, they have, they have people who accept cases at all different levels. So for example, there are, there are folks there who will do uh, you know, a, a middle income divorce and there are folks who will do very, very high-end uh, complex divorces with detailed prenuptial agreements or you know, contracts where you know, people are entertainers or they're athletes and their personal life and their business life are highly complex. When, we talk to, when I talk to them about building their practices, the, the higher-end folks generally get their work almost exclusively by referral. And the way that we help them grow is by expanding their network of evangelists. So financial advisors to affluent people 
as well as business managers to affluent people who are generally CPAs by trade and they become the business manager for the affluent person. Those folks are the primary way that people are referred to the, the highest of the high-end family law attorneys. Also, other family law attorneys refer them work. So one of the things I've been able to do successfully with Doug's firm in Bethesda is work with them to find the financial advisors that have the exact target clientele that they're interested in working with. And they connect with one another and they create a strategic alliance where the family law attorney will expose them to clients that the family law group works with through seminars, through publishing in their, in their newsletters, through sharing the financial advisor's newsletters with their clients. And then the financial advisor in return will send his, uh, the, the, the high-end client to the family law attorney when the divorce actually happens. The other thing that they do is the financial advisor will often host a seminar and invite the family law attorney to speak about prenuptial agreements within the context of asset protection. And that offers the family law attorney the opportunity to also bring a trust and estates attorney from Offit Kerman to the, um, to, the, to the session. And it gets double the exposure for the Offit Kerman lawyers. So this is an example of a strategic alliance partnership for a specific purpose. And if you asked, uh, uh, Sandy Brooks or Cheryl Hepfer, the, the attorneys in two, two of the higher end attorneys in the Bethesda office, uh, you know, who their best referral sources were, they could tell you, uh, the names of the financial advisors that have sent them work over the, over the years, uh, as a result of doing this type of thing. So you can use it for the narrow, the very narrow purpose of just doing a seminar or for a broader purpose. And we're going to talk about that as our session goes on today. Another example is a bankruptcy attorney in Klitzner, the IRS controversy attorney. Steve will often do seminars with bankruptcy attorneys to, uh, to other lawyers, believe it or not, where Steve and the bankruptcy attorney together will do a seminar or a webinar on the way that uh, assets are treated in a bankruptcy proceeding and what items can be, what items, what, uh, you know, what the people's exposure is to the IRS even after they've filed for bankruptcy protection. Why is this important? Because as businesses are reorganized, transactional attorneys need to know if there's personal guarantees, what the exposure is to the IRS and how to handle some of those assets. Again, one specific area for a strategic alliance partnership, but a highly effective area nonetheless. Nancy Delane will, uh, I'm sure, recognize this, a transactional attorney and an intellectual property attorney. So when a transactional attorney is helping his client buy another business, they will often bring in an IP attorney to help them uh, you know, not only value the IP assets, but determine whether the IP assets have been sufficiently protected. Now, hosting seminars together or doing joint mailings or writing a joint paper or a joint publication is highly valuable because the transactional attorney can add value to his client's business 
by introducing him to someone who can not only protect his intellectual property, but offer a way to license that intellectual property so that they can use it as a revenue stream. So the transactional attorney, who's generally only been a cost center to this client, has a strategic alliance with somebody like Nancy who does intellectual property work, immediately he's more valuable and Nancy is highly valuable to the business owner because Nancy's a revenue center, not a cost center. And the transactional attorney, because of his alliance with Nancy, has brought Nancy into the mix, he's added value to the business. Uh, the Cartesanos do uh, custom clothing for their clients. Well, they can create a strategic alliance partnership with dry cleaners who specialize in handling high-end clothing. Now, those of you uh, who, are not, uh, who, who are not familiar with high-end clothing, you probably never thought to yourself that there would be dry cleaners who specialize in high-end clothing. There's actually uh, several groups that certify people in the care and treatment of high-end clothing. We have a dry cleaner here in South Florida that is on the cutting edge of uh, this very narrow niche. Uh, Sudsy's Dry Cleaner here in Florida specializes in handling high-end clothing that men and women wear, like ball gowns and suits and really elegant stuff. Well, folks who bring their clothes to a high-end cleaner are probably the ideal customer for uh, Christopher Allen Custom Clothing, Chris and, and Teresa's company. So one of the things that they can do is they can offer gift cards to the dry cleaner, and whenever the dry cleaner onboards a new customer, they can get a $50 or $100 gift card to uh, Christopher Allen Custom Clothing for, to be used for a suit or a women's, you know, uh, an outfit for, for a woman for a business suit or something along those lines. And Christopher Allen Custom Clothing can offer a gift card to the local cleaners for $25 off their dry cleaning the next time they go in. And both groups can benefit with very little effort and added value on both parties' parts. That's a great example of a strategic alliance partnership from two different businesses. Finally, for Carmen, litigation support and Carmen's company, uh, Transforma Translation. Think about the companies that do predictive coding work. So uh, a litigation uh, matter is dropped on the desk of a law firm, and uh, there, are, there are dozens of companies these days that will help go through a terabyte uh, of online documents to search for keywords and help with the discovery process. Well, the companies that do that outsourced work will often have a need for translation. And some of them may do the translation in-house, but some of them may require external translation companies. So doing a strategic alliance where you create a document that talks about all aspects of litigation support, including translation, that the litigation support company, as well as Transforma, can distribute is valuable because some of Carmen's clients may not have a contact in a litigation support company like Robert Half, for example, uh, that, that would do predictive coding and that sort of thing. So those are just some ideas, just off, literally off the top of my head as I was preparing the presentation, 
for different types of um, different types of strategic alliance partnerships that may make sense for some of you. Now, let's talk about how we can leverage some of these joint marketing opportunities. Um, okay, uh, just as an FYI, all right, uh, point of correction for those of you uh, playing the home version of our game. Steve Siegel has helped me out and told me that the statute has been changed to provide protection for the single member LLC. So thank you, Steve. So those of you in Florida can uh, breathe a sigh of relief. Uh, you no longer need a multi-member LLC. So the three companies that I have that I was the only single member now and I put my wife on, <laughs> I no longer need that, but it, I guess it's okay. Uh, my, I guess it re helps reduce my exposure. We also created a, a trust that owns a portion of the company as well so to reduce our exposure. Uh, and then Nancy pointed out that litigators are not the only people who often need translation services. Patent work probably requires it more often. Thank you, Nancy, for highlighting that. Carmen, you and Nancy need to get together so that you, uh, so that you get to know each other. So, uh, so make sure that you do that. All right, and Carmen says thank you. Okay, let's talk about, uh, let's talk about joint marketing opportunities. Uh, the first um, that I talk about all the time is a mailing, right? So I've got a, I've got a mailing list and, um, and you want to reach out to a bunch of lawyers to help them. So I agree that I'm going to mail to my mailing list and offer your services. A great, a great example of this, believe it or not, is the person I use for direct mail work. So I use a company called The Data Boutique, and The Data Boutique here in, in, uh, in Miami is a firm that is owned by a husband and wife team. They're very, very good. I, they're highly reliable. They know a lot about direct mail. They are excellent list brokers as well. They can find you uh, pretty much any list that's available. And they always answer the phone when I call and I can introduce them to someone on a moment's notice and the project could literally start this afternoon if I called them right now. So I rely on them. I am happy to promote them to my clients. So when I talk about doing direct mail work, I offer the opportunity for people to consult with me if they want to do a direct mail campaign. And in that consultation, if, even if people choose not to work with me, I give them the name of the Data Boutique. I give them the name uh, of Ellen Greenfield, who owns the company, because I trust her. And she's always giving people my name when people come to her with marketing that she thinks I can do. So we do joint venture opportunities all the time. I've done direct mail to my clients where I highlight her services and they will call her. Sometimes they call me directly and I forward them to her. So joint venture marketing opportunities are great because I can share my list with you and I will promote you to my list and you can promote me to your list. Now, a word of caution to my Florida lawyers who are watching this, my Florida lawyers who are on with me, if someone does a joint venture mailing for you, they do a mailing on your behalf, we still need to send it to the Florida Bar for approval. Those of you who are lawyers outside of the state of Florida, if you're interested in doing some sort of joint venture mailing, connect with me and I'll discuss the laws of your state with you 
the ethics rules of your state so that we make sure you don't run afoul of them. In the Florida bar rules, you have to have a joint venture mailing, even if another company is doing it on your behalf, you have to have that approved anyway. So for example, if you were a real estate attorney and you wanted a realtor with whom you work to promote you to his clients and to other realtors, and they were gonna write a letter on your behalf and sign it themselves, we would still want to run that letter by the Florida Bar, even if it would be considered a gray area from an ethics perspective as to whether you would need advertising approval because it's someone else talking about you. If you have knowledge that that letter is going out, I don't wanna take a chance. I want you to get the approval of the bar before, before we send it out. So joint venture marketing opportunities that are planned in advance, like mail, or if you're doing any joint venture advertising, which I'm not even gonna talk about today, but if you're doing a joint venture ad program with somebody else, if you're a lawyer, we need to look at the regulatory rules, the ethics rules, and make sure that we get your advertising piece approved um, to, you know, to make sure that you're not running afoul of those rules. Uh, second joint venture, venture marketing opportunity that I wanna highlight today are seminars. Now these days we're doing a lot of them online. I did one a couple of weeks ago with Brad Gross, who's my, who's my client down here, he's a technology lawyer. And he did an all day seminar on Zoom where he had five speakers and I was one of the speakers, I helped him plan the event. And that was a joint venture seminar because Brad was the master of ceremonies. He did a 30 minute opening session and he did a 30 minute closing session. He interviewed all the speakers after they were finished and took questions from the audience. He introduced them at the beginning of their time in speaking. So even an online seminar as a joint venture opportunity is great because you get to promote your services to their list. They get to promote their services to your list. And these things can be highly effective. When coronavirus time is over and we go back to, um, you know, we go back to the, uh, the, the real world of in-person seminars, these are highly effective. People love to attend seminars where there are guest speakers who offer services that they can use. Many people tell me, oh, I don't want to go to something that's a pitch fest where people pitch their services constantly. And there's a difference between offering an opportunity for someone to get something of value, right, the honeypot, or pitching your services where you have to run to the back of the room to get a set of knives for $9.99. So seminars are great joint venture marketing opportunities. Certification courses. This is something that you guys, as my clients, don't take enough advantage of. And I've done these very successfully over the years. So you create your own course and you certify people in your course as people who are eligible to do blank. The example that I'll give you is something that I'm planning for this fall. So what we're going to do here in our quote unquote inner circle uh, community is I'm going to provide you guys with a set of courses that we will do live like this and they'll be available via recording and I'm gonna offer quizzes at the end of each of the recordings. You'll take the quizzes online and it'll submit them to me and then you'll be a certified referral partner here as part of our community. 
Now, why am I doing this? I'm doing it for a couple of reasons. The main reason I'm doing it, and I'll, I'll peel back the curtain so you can see it, it's added value to those of you who, uh, who join. Basically, it's added value. The perception of value of membership in the course goes way up when people have to take a certification. Now, why am I doing this and what benefit is it for you as members? Well, the benefit to the members will be that the main point of the course as a certified referral partner here in the community will be that people have to pass an ethics certification. So there is going to be uh, a course on client service. There's going to be a course on ethics. There's going to be a course on communication so that you know when you pass a referral to that person within the community that they've gone through the ethics training, they've gone through the communication training, and they've gone through the client service training that we offer here, and they've answered the questions online so that they know what the expectation is. Now, this is important for a couple of reasons. It's important to me from a business perspective because as our network grows, you know, right now I think we're 23 or 24 people. Uh, by the end of the year, we'll probably be 45, 50 people. And once it gets bigger than that, I probably won't have as much personal interaction with new people as I have with all of you. And I wanna make sure that the new people we bring in are up to the caliber that you all, uh, the standard that you all have set. So that certification course is valuable for those of you who are members, and by the way, it's included in the membership price. There's no additional fee, um, you know, and it's a way for me to add value to your membership. Now, you can offer certification courses in your areas, and I'm thinking right now of, for example, um, you know, cannabis. You could create a cannabis uh, business course and for $79, offer people the opportunity to go through your online course and then get the Steve Siegel Cannabis Business Certification, right? And it's, it's, not a, uh, it's, it's nothing more complicated than that, but eventually the reputation gets out that, hey, this Siegel guy, he really knows his stuff in cannabis because he's certifying people for, uh, you know, for operating and understanding the risks. That added value is also a point of entry in the market. And if you were doing that with that certification course with a cannabis distributor where they would certify people on their aspect of the course or you know, another vendor, a vendor in the cannabis area, you and the vendor partner up, that would be valuable for you from a strategic alliance perspective because you and the vendor now share your lists of cannabis businesses and you get exposure to their businesses as an expert creating the certification course. I wanna make sure that, that, you, uh, that everybody uh, understands that these are certifications that you're creating. So there's no regulatory compliance other than you creating some standards that people have to live up to. And those certifications make you an authority and they open up a lot of doors for strategic alliance partnerships for you. I'm glancing over at the chat now and a couple of people have some thoughts on that. So bear with me here. Um, ah, Steve Siegel, how does certification differ from best lawyers uh, designation? Okay, Steve, excellent question. Thank you for raising that. All right, so the, um, you know, one of the things that I hate, and you guys know that I hate it, is the super lawyers designation, right? Because I think it's a scam. 
Well, the reason that I think super lawyers is a scam is because the way you get nominated for super lawyers is you tell all your friends to nominate you. And then if enough people nominate you, you become a super lawyer. Your certification course is, is going to be a, basically a checklist of things that people have to demonstrate knowledge of. They have to take a test at the end of you teaching them something. So the Steve Siegel certification in cannabis law would be you have to attend five one-hour sessions that Steve either conducts live or that he has available on video. And there are services that will track people's uh, video watching. So for example, the service that I use to share videos with you is called Wistia, W-I-S-T-I-A. It allows me to track which of you are going to view the videos. So if you go to view the videos and you're logged in to either Google or iCloud on your computer, Wistia has a way of extracting your information. And also we can track it through your IP address. If I email you the links directly, Wistia has a way of telling me who's watching, how long they watch, where they bail out on the video, and what they watch over and over again. So if you're certifying people, you can track that they've watched all the videos. And then at the end, you offer them a test, a 50 question or 100 question test that they have to either pick multiple choice answers to or fill in the blank. And once they answer those questions, they get your certification. So the difference between what you're doing, Steve, and super lawyers, for example, is you're really educating them and they really have to demonstrate mastery. In my mind, that's completely legitimate because you're an authority on the subject and you're telling everyone else that they've completed your course and they're up to your standards. Whereas super lawyers is just find your friends and nominate them. I think that is a fantastic opportunity for all of you. Now, uh, Carmen has an idea for a seminar. So Carmen, what I'm gonna do is I'm going to, and Carmen also agrees with me about super lawyers. Thank you, Carmen. Carmen, at the end of our time together, I want you to tell us all your idea for the seminar and then, uh, and then we can discuss it. All right, so in addition to certification courses, books or other publications are great opportunities for, uh, for joint venture marketing. Um, and what I mean by this is, and you've seen a lot of these, I'm sure, a lot of times people who are experts in different practice areas will write a white paper or a book and produce it. Uh, again, with Doug uh, Kay's firm, Offit Kerman, one of the things that, uh, that I did with, once again, the family law group is we took a bunch of their attorneys and I had two attorneys write uh, on generalized, uh, a generalized family law guide. And then I had Emily Gelman, who is really well-versed and focused on child custody issues, create uh, a chapter on child custody stuff for a white paper. Um, and we combined it with the, the other two lawyers, more generalized information. And then I had Kate McQueen, who's a, who's a, a really, really good uh, family law attorney at their firm, do uh, a paper on guardianships. And we combined all of those papers into a family law guide publication that they send out to their clients. Now, these are all attorneys in the same firm. However, if you were an independent family law attorney and you specialized in child custody issues, you could join forces with another family law attorney and do a joint paper. 
If you specialized in guardianships, you could join forces with another family law attorney and you could do a joint paper. These joint marketing opportunities are fantastic because you get to access each other's lists. All right, and then the final uh, area of joint uh, marketing opportunities for this slide are trade shows. Obviously, trade shows are suspended these days. We're not doing a lot of trade shows. However, if you wanted to attend a trade show and the price of the booth or uh, the exhibition was uh, onerous, you could get together with two other complimentary uh, partners and the three of you could share a trade show booth and have all the benefits of going to the trade show. Here are some other joint venture marketing opportunities. Shared office space is one of my favorites. Now, uh, Florida lawyers may know Russ Jacobs, and the story that I tell about Russ all the time is in 2007, when I first met Russ, he was doing, actually 2008, he was doing foreclosure defense seminars, literally in the International Mall here in Miami. He was on a stage with an immigration lawyer and a bankruptcy lawyer, and they would do seminars in the International Mall and then do private consultations behind some pipe and drape right in the middle of the mall. Um, and, you know, candidly, Russ is one of the best real estate lawyers in Miami, but doing those seminars didn't make him uh, appear to be one of the best. It made him look like he was just looking for any old client he could find. So one of the things we started doing was we started taking those seminars, moving them to uh, private conference rooms that other law firms had available and doing joint ventures with other law firms. This led to Russ, as he became more successful, purchasing his own office condo. He now has a really nice, uh, I think it's uh, 18,000 square foot, actually maybe may even more than that, 18,000 square foot office condo in Aventura that he owns himself and he rents out office space to people in other practice areas, but he only rents office space to people in complementary practice areas to his. So he has an immigration attorney in, in his office. He has a trust and estates attorney in his office. He has a corporate transactional attorney in his office. He's got a litigator in his office. He's got a bankruptcy attorney in his office. They all have their own office space. They have a separate entrance with a separate receptionist from Russ's office. So people come in and it looks like a, a true professional law firm. And that shared office space is joint venture marketing opportunity because Russ sends these people. He literally sends just about every one of them, at least one client every month. And that client enables them to pay Russ the rent. So they're almost in there rent free. They return the favor and always refer Russ for real estate work. Shared office space is something that very few people think about when it comes to joint venture marketing opportunity. Now, this is even more important during the coronavirus era. Why? Because when we are free to move about the country once again, when we get a vaccine or we get some sort of treatment for this virus and people start leaving their homes and going back out to do things, a lot of attorneys are gonna to continue to work out of their home. They're not gonna have office space. Office space will be valuable if you have the opportunity to refer business and that proximity offers you that opportunity. So like a WeWork or shared office space model 
is only valuable to you if you can take advantage of that joint venture marketing opportunity. I think, and believe it or not, this is gonna run counter to what you're hearing from everyone. I think having an office will offer you the opportunity to leverage joint venture marketing down the road once the COVID-19 era is over. Now, I'm not saying you should go out and get office space. No, far from it. I am saying that there may be an advantage to you having temporary space that you visit once a week, twice a month, down the road when COVID-19 is over, because that could be your gateway to joint venture marketing opportunity. Um, shared sales staff, I know you guys as lawyers can't have salespeople selling for you. However, if you had a vendor that was doing your website and you had a joint venture partner who was a CPA and that vendor did their website too, there are some things that you could do within the guidelines of Florida ethics that would allow you within the guidelines of all states legal ethics that would allow you to have that website vendor promote both you and the CPA. So any opportunity you have to leverage joint sales staff, I think is a great joint venture marketing opportunity. The second way I would leverage the, the quote unquote sales staff is with vendors. So if you share a vendor with other professionals, have that vendor introduce you to those professionals. The vendor will be happy because he'll feel like he's making a great connection. He'll feel like he's deepening his relationship with you and the other person. And you'll be happy because this is an opportunity for you to grow. Lobbying efforts, those of you who are in highly regulated practice groups, you might want to consider going in with other professionals to join a lobbying organization. Um, I, I work with a lot of attorneys who are in government work, like government contracting work. And a lot of times lobbyists can help them by making introductions, but if they're sole practitioners, they might not be able to afford to engage a lobbyist. If you form a strategic alliance and you pool your money, you may be able to join a lobbying group or organization. And industry trade associations also may be a great opportunity. Some industry trade associations may be too expensive for you to join individually, but you can join them collectively. And then finally, the power team concept. I am going to introduce you to the power team concept today, and then we're going to do an in-depth, deep dive into the power team concept in the months that follow. So what is the power team concept? Well, this is your own strategic alliance group. You could call it a networking group if you'd like, where you all share an ideal target client. All of you have someone in your ideal target client database that you have in common. Now, you select a handful, a very small group of people who are part of your power team and you market, you sell each other's services, you don't sell yourself. The power team offers you exclusivity, meaning if you're the lawyer in the power team, you're the only lawyer, if you're the CPA, you're the only CPA. If you're the translation person like Carmen is, you're the only translation person. They're loyal to you and you trust each other. You fo your focus is on group growth. Your focus is not on individual growth. And you invest in the group relationships 
versus investing in the relationship uh, just for yourself. And immersion in the group is the key to success. So let me describe what I'm talking about. One moment, let me double check the chat box here. We've got a couple of questions. Um, okay, you guys are gonna talk. Uh, Nancy loves Carmen's idea, that's great. Okay, we'll talk about that at the end. So here's a great example of the power team concept. As I mentioned at the outset of our time together today, yesterday I interviewed Ted Offit, who's the, one of the founding partners of Offit Kerman. Obviously his last name is on the door, so he's one of the founding partners. Ted got started by using this exact concept. So Ted is a, uh, a business lawyer and he connected with a CPA. He connected with an insurance guy, an, insur an, an insurance uh, agent, a sale an insurance salesperson, and he connected with a banker. So it was Ted, a CPA, an insurance guy, a banker, and somebody like me who does what I do, a business consultant. And what they agreed to do was they agreed to sell each other's services to their lists. So Ted agreed to sell the CPA to everyone he knew. Ted agreed to connect the banker with everyone he knew. He agreed to connect the insurance guy with everyone he knew. And he agreed to connect the business consultant with everyone he knew. And what Ted said to me yesterday was, he said, I was so busy promoting these other guys that I never thought for a minute about promoting myself, but I had so much business at the end of the day that I wouldn't have been able to handle anymore if I had been promoting myself. He said he would help sign up at least one new client to the people on his power team every week, and by promoting them, he was getting four or five people promoting him every week, so he was signing up two or three new clients for every one he was offering to the other folks. Now the keys to making this work, there are a few. The first, thing, the first key is if you're an attorney and you bring a CPA into your power team, you have to agree that you're gonna promote that CPA exclusively. Now if you work across state lines, if you're in a federal practice area, for example, and you can promote a CPA in New York and a CPA in New Jersey, and your power team CPA is only uh, licensed to work in New York, that's fine. You give him all the New York work and you, you have another power team in New Jersey. Totally fine, completely acceptable. But this power team concept works when there's exclusivity, loyalty, and trust. So you have to agree to promote the people in your power team exclusively and there has to be a high level of trust there. Um, now, Steve Siegel has a good question. He says, I need to work with many experts who compete against each other. Doesn't the power team result in limiting referrals from those professionals who are not included? Okay, so Steve, your question is a good one. And the answer is, if you're not careful, it will result in, uh, in some limitations. So here's how we handle that specific aspect of this. And I do this with Steve Klitzner all the time. Um, if you have to work with multiple professionals who are competing and those professionals need your services, so you're, you're relatively unique compared to, let's say, a CPA. If you have a CPA on your power team, you have to be transparent with that CPA and you say, listen, I'm gonna bring you in for all the reorganization work I do or all the practice work I do with cosmetic surgeons. 
Um, cosmetic surgeons are unique because they have a high degree of cash that they, that they handle. Uh, they don't do a lot of insurance-based work. So you're gonna be my CPA for cosmetic surgeons. I'm not gonna have any other CPAs work with cosmetic surgeons. I, will, uh, I may from time to time have other CPAs work with other doctors and other practice areas. The key is transparency upfront in working with some of these relationships. So Steve, in your case, if you said, look, you're my CPA for cosmetic surgeons, I may work with other CPAs in other practice areas, you'll find a CPA that will agree, but the CPA may say to you, well, I'm only gonna refer you to a handful of the, you know, of the, the, the docs that I work with. Your key, in my opinion, Steve, would be to find a really huge rainmaker person and offer them right of first refusal on as much of your business as you possibly could. And if they turn you down, you have a backup person. They don't know that they're the backup person, but instead of getting five referrals a month from you, they get one referral a month or they get a referral every other month. My experience has shown me that people will accept the referral every other month happily and they will refer you back. You don't have to tell them that you have this power team concept going on. Um, you know, your transparency with your primary referral team partner, with your primary power team partner is critical. So if you're going to accept one person exclusively, that person has to be able to provide you with enough referrals every month so that you're exclusive to them. And that transparency uh, conversation has to take place up front. So you say, listen, Joe Smith, I, I often work with a lot of CPAs. If I'm going to work with you exclusively, we're talking about a significant amount of referrals coming into me, and I'm going to send you probably five or six referrals every month. How would you feel about that? And if Joe says, okay, Steve, I can definitely send you five or six referrals a month, then maybe you give him a shot at being exclusive. If it's just because of jurisdictional issues, you have to work with competing people, then maybe you don't have one person in that specific area. You know, uh, the, the interesting thing about a power team, uh, not only Steve, but everybody else who's with us today, the interesting thing about a power team is if you have to work with multiple people in a specific vendor relationship, then you don't put one person necessarily on your power team in that area. So Klitzner, for example, Steve Klitzner does IRS controversy work. He might not put a CPA on his power team because he can't be exclusive to that CPA, but he can certainly be exclusive to a banker in Miami-Dade County. So he could create a, a power team relationship with a banker and refer the banker almost exclusively uh, all of his relationships in Miami-Dade County. Whereas, you know, the CPA, it wouldn't make sense. Or he could have an insurance guy that would be on his power team and he wouldn't have to offer uh, you know, multiple vendors because the insurance guy would refer him one or two cases and that's one or two more cases than any other insurance guy is gonna refer him. So if you need to work with multiple professionals in a specific area, there are a couple of ways to do it. One way is to find a rainmaker who's gonna give you so much work that you don't mind excluding other people. If that's not possible, then don't put just one person from that area, that specific area on your power team let that area be open so that you can refer whoever you want and focus on other people like bankers, like you know, uh, people who are not competitive, insurance people, financial advisors, that sort of thing. Um, all right, so how to get started with a power team. And this is where we are, uh, we're really gonna focus. 
what you do is you interview clients and ask for who the best is in any specific area. So if you're looking for a banker to put on your power team, don't just accept your buddy who's a banker. What you do is you talk to your clients and you say, who do you bank with and why? What kind of service do they provide? Would you recommend them to other people? When you hear the same name over and over again, you reach out to that person and explain what you're doing and see if that person is interested in being a part of it. You wanna gauge when you're interviewing that person their enthusiasm for the concept. This power team concept only works when people really buy into it. So if somebody says, yeah, sure, Doug, put me on your power team, I'll recommend you, absolutely. And they, they occasionally put your name on a list of people they recommend, that's not gonna work out for anybody. I want you to try it out before anointing somebody as a member of your power team. I want you to refer them some business see how they handle it, and see how they refer you back. If they refer you back with the same zeal, with the same enthusiasm, with the same level of professionalism that you refer them, that's good. So try it out by referring them first. Establish what I call a core four. All of us who are professionals have a four-person group that we rely on, okay? Those people are generally our business attorney, okay? So those of you who are lawyers, you may not have a business attorney, but you certainly have a CPA who should be in your core four. You should have a banking relationship. And at no time other than the PPP process was banking, uh, banking relationship more important. So you should have a CPA, a banking relationship. You should have an insurance expert, okay? The insurance expert is somebody who can talk about term life, whole life, health insurance. They could talk about corporate liability. They're well-versed in all aspects of insurance. They may only be licensed to sell one particular type, but they have relationships where they can connect you with others. So that's three of your four, insurance, banking, CPA. The fourth would be a business attorney, okay? Now, those of you who are attorneys, that fourth person it can be an attorney who refers you a lot of business. So if you're an IP attorney, it could be a business transactional attorney. Or if you're a family law attorney, it could be a trust and estates attorney. Or you can substitute a financial advisor for the attorney if you're an attorney. Now, here's the thing. You got to be careful that the financial advisor doesn't do insurance products that overlap with your insurance guy. So that's a key area of distinction. For general business people, so for the Cartesanos, for uh, Carmen, who, who runs the translation business, you want a business transactional attorney in your area, you want a CPA, you want a uh, insurance person, and the fourth person you want is uh, either the financial advisor or I would say the banker. The banker is probably the best. If you have somebody who's a financial advisor who doesn't overlap with your insurance guy and you want to make it five, that's fine. Sometimes uh, someone like me, a, uh, a business consultant or a business coach will be included. Here's the thing, all right? Unless the business coach or business consultant is a superstar networker, do not include them in your core four or in your, in your five people. And the reason I say that is because People like me are not as aggressive as I am. Most people like me 
are most people who are in this profession and they call themselves business coaches or consultants have failed at another business. And that's why they went into business coaching or consulting. I, unfortunately, that's just the way it is. So unless you find somebody who's passing you or has the ability to pass you one, two, three, four referrals a month, who can introduce you to people who can help you grow your business, don't include them in your core four. Toss them some business from time to time, that's great, and they'll send you business back. But your banker, your CPA, your insurance person, you should be sending them business a couple of times a month at least. That's the kind of relationship you need to have in order to get business back. You're going to need to immerse yourself in these people's businesses. You really need to make sure you understand how their businesses work. So make sure that you're comfortable getting to know these people and understanding their business. A good metric for whether or not you're doing your job as a power team member is one lead per week. If you can find these people, each of them, one lead per week, you're doing your job because they're going to be looking for one lead per week for you. So if you think about it, you've got four people sending you four introductions every week, They're sending you one introduction each every week, that's four new introductions you're making. As these people get to know your business, they will be immersed in your business and they'll, their leads they'll send you will get better and better. So you may sign up two of those four people for some type of business every week. That's eight new pieces of business a month. If your average transaction size is $5,000, that's $40,000 a month in new business you'll be signing up when your power team is firing on all cylinders. That's not chump change. That's good money. That'll keep the lights on in your office for a little while. So what should you do right now? First, make a list of positions that would be good for your power team, okay? Then talk to your current clients. Ask them who they're currently using. Hey, who's your banker? Who's your CPA? Who sells you your insurance? Who do you trust for these things? Set goals for referrals you'll give to each of those people. So what does this mean? You gotta start also talking to your clients about their insurance needs. You gotta start talking to your clients about their banking needs. You gotta start talking to, their, to your clients about who their CPA is and the level of service they're receiving. I've found that people who are least comfortable promoting themselves are often very comfortable promoting others because there's no risk in it for them if people say no. They won't take the rejection personally. So set goals for referrals that you will give each week. Establish a gateway offering for your services and encourage your referral partners, encourage the people on your power team to establish a gateway offering for their services. What does this mean? Well, let's say the financial advisor. The financial advisor offers a free audit of your portfolio and he makes some suggestions on whether your portfolio should be rebalanced you can introduce your clients to the financial advisor with this free portfolio evaluation and people will take you up on it. That's a gateway offering. You should have a gateway offering for your services that makes it easy for people to connect other people with you. Start by giving people who work in these areas recommendations and testimonials. Show them that you care about them, show them that you value their services Get them interested in who you are and what you do 
and see what they do in return. If you offer someone a recommendation or a testimonial and they turn around, they write you a recommendation right back or they refer you some business right back, you know that person gets it. And that's somebody you can talk to about Power Team Partnership. Finally, refer one person each week to each potential partner. As you do this, look for what they do with you in return. Are they trying to introduce you to people? Even if they're introducing you to evangelists who offer you the opportunity to do a webinar somewhere, you, you know this person has an external orientation and they're thinking about you. Begin to make offers to people of connections and see how they handle it. Once you make those connections, look what they do in return. If they offer you the opportunity to connect with someone in return, you know you've got a good potential candidate for your power team there. All right, so that's our presentation today. I see we have some stuff going on in the chat. Let me examine the chat real quick. Um, all right, so Nancy says the power team thing sounds a lot like a self-made BNI group. And Nancy, you're correct. Even within your BNI group, Carmen agrees with her. Carmen's familiar with BNI too. Even within your, uh, with, even within your BNI groups, you'll always have people who refer you more frequently than folks who don't. I'm going to unmute everybody now so that we can have a conversation about this. Um, Let's say you belong to a BNI group. I always have divided BNI into thirds. And the thirds that I've divided the BNI group into have been a third of the people understand what you do and they'll refer you frequently. Another third of the people uh, understand what you do, but they're not comfortable referring you. They don't quite get how to refer you. They're not sure how to make that connection with some education, with some coaxing you may be able to get them to refer you. And then the final third of your BNI group, they're useless to you. For whatever reason, they don't refer you, they can't make the connection, they can't figure out what you do. This is true of any referral organization. It's not unique to BNI. Your power team are the four most important referral sources to you. So you can belong to a BNI group and have your banker, your CPA, and your insurance person in the BNI group with you. And they're your power team they're going to refer you exclusively for, uh, for your services, and you're going to refer them exclusively for those services. And then you're not necessarily going to be referral monogamous to everybody else in your BNI group because some people get it and some people don't. You know, the great example that I use all the time is the locksmith in, uh, in my former BNI chapter. I love Maria Guadamus. She's the, her husband and she and her husband own AAA Miami locksmith. I refer her a lot. How do I refer her? Because people need security systems, people need safes, people need cameras. They sometimes need to change the locks on their house. It's easy for me to connect people. When I go to their house, I look at their house and I say, hey, you have a camera system. Who did you use to put it in? And they always tell me. By the way, I don't know if you guys have camera systems, but everybody I know who has a camera system is like, oh, I need somebody to come and fix it. That's an easy referral for me. Now, Maria doesn't refer me all that much because she doesn't come across a lot of people who need my services. But whenever she meets somebody who's a new attorney, she sends me an email, I connect with the, with the attorney and I put them on my list and who knows, someday they may come off my list. Do I care that Maria doesn't refer me? No, because she's reliable when I need her to be, but I'm not gonna put her on my power team because it's just not a natural synergy. So you can still be a member of a BNI group and have this power team concept. 
Doug, can you take uh, just take a couple of minutes and, and tell people how you started this? Because you just started this a couple of months ago, and it's even working for you during the pandemic. So tell tell the folks what you're doing. Well, uh, at your suggestion, um, I um, got together with some um, fellows that I um, uh, am friendly with at my country club. And um, we, we put together a team of, of uh, I guess there's six of us. Um, and we weren't, I wasn't thinking about being as, you know, specific as, um, as you are, Dave, about getting, you know, the, the four core people, although it's, as, it, as luck would have it, that's, that's who's on our group. But, you know, there's an attorney, we have a banker, we have an insurance guy. Um, and then we have a guy who, um, you know, runs a uh, commercial lawn care company um, and a guy who um, is a mover and another guy who owns a bunch of um, buildings uh, that has have, um, you know, multifamily residential type building. And uh, the, the, the plan was the, the, the sale was, uh, you know, we got these food minimums we got to we got to use up every month. You know, let's meet once a month and, and have dinner. And then right when we got the thing stood up, the pandemic hit. And so we started having Zoom calls. And the first um, three or four of those, uh, we did them every other week. Um, the first three or four of those was all about um, the CARES Act and the PPP in particular. And the banker was really knowledgeable. The, the lawn care guy was incredibly knowledgeable about PPP because he had to have it to survive. Um, and, um, and I was able to provide a bunch of material for my firm. So it's been interesting. And we're actually having our first dinner all together, um, you know, three months later on Tuesday. Great. So we got that set up. And it, it's a bunch of great guys. Uh, I really like them. And the thought is that we'll grow it maybe over time. Your suggestion, Dave, I think was to grow it to 10 or 15. And if you get, you know, six or eight, guys, six or eight folks at the dinner, that's great. Um, but that's, is that the one you want me to talk about? Yeah, yeah. So uh, there's, a, there's a point I want to make there. Your mover, for example, we talked about the mover when you first invited him. He knows everybody. Yeah. He really gets it. He understands yeah. how to connect people. So he's people the ideal guy. Yeah. Like, if, like if I was on Long Island, I'd be meeting with Chris Cartesano every week because Chris, Chris is in and out of the exact businesses that are, that are a perfect fit for me and probably for all of you. So, you know, Chris is not somebody that exists in every market, but he's the perfect person to put on the power team because he fits the mold for your exact ideal client. So, you know, the, the same people target, the people targeting the same clients. And that's the thing that I really want to make sure. And that's why I wanted you to highlight that, Doug. I want to bring this out is that although I have those core people that I highlight, you don't, you know, you can replace the banker with a mover or a landscaper who really gets it, who knows everybody. Another example that I'll give you is my pool guy here who services my pool in my house. He knows everybody. And, you know, I, I when he comes to clean my pool, I feed him. I give him, if it's in the morning, I give him coffee. If it's in the afternoon, uh, especially late in the afternoon, I'll give him a beer and he'll sit and talk to me. I've made introductions to him that have gotten him business and he's made introductions to me that have gotten me business. He's in everybody's backyard. He's an incredibly valuable person. That's a great guy. You want him on your, you know, on your power team. Well, that was the inside look at how to build a power team. This has been your inner circle sneak peek. 
on the Inside BS Show. My name is Dave Lorenzo. If you'd like to apply to become a member of the Inner Circle Business Development Community, here's what's required. You have to go to Join Dave Lorenzo. That's joindavelorenzo.com. Joindavelorenzo altogether.com. Joindavelorenzo.com. Go to that website. Fill out the information necessary and pay the enrollment fee. And that enrollment fee is for an entire year. You get two meetings a week for a full year. You get introductions to all the members. You get access to a private website, which contains all kinds of videos. We have over 75 video courses there. There's a community discussion forum where you can post things that you need and share best practices with other people. There's a whole host of opportunity for you, not the least of which is great referrals. We passed over $8 million in referrals in 2020, and we're off to a fast start in 2021. So if you'd like to join my inner circle business development community, I want you to go to joindavelorenzo.com. That's joindavelorenzo.com. Read all about it there. Read the testimonials, listen to the video testimonials, and then click the button to join us. We'd love to see you on the inside. Until tomorrow, this is Dave Lorenzo. Here's hoping you make a great living and live a great life.